Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 2 Kings chapter 13 as we finish off the chapter today in a Bible study that I've entitled, Victory Comes by Faith. And remember, as we're studying through 2 Kings, we're learning about the long-term effects of both sinful decisions and good decisions. And we're learning that through the different kingdoms the northern and the southern kingdom. Remember, after Solomon, the king, after Solomon's death, the kingdom of Israel, the nation of Israel, was split into two, Israel and Judah. And the nation of God being split into two kingdoms after the death of Solomon revealed the power of leadership. And that's certainly a lesson that we're learning, the power of leadership, the power of good leadership and the power of bad leadership how good leadership can lead to such fruit and joy and how bad leadership can harm people and hurt people. And we're here in 2 Kings chapter 3, remember, or excuse me, chapter 13, remember in verse 5 we learned last week that the Lord gave Israel a deliverer. And you'll notice in your English translation it's little d because he was just a man and God raised up a man to be a deliverer as he did during the time of Judges where the nation would get in trouble. They had no leader, so they'd do with that which was right in their own eyes, and then God would raise up a deliverer, rescue them. There'd be a time of peace. They'd sin again. It was just a vicious cycle. Well, we also see now that the cycle was continuing because it's not just an issue with the nation of Israel. It's not just an issue in the book of Judges. It's an issue in our own hearts that's untethered to the Holy Spirit. We'll do the same thing and we'll follow the same pattern. And God will be faithful to send us the deliverer, not little d, but in our study last time we learned capital D, that the true deliverer is Jesus Christ, the one who died for our sins. And there's just true freedom in the Lord. A, a true freedom, what the, the book of Galatians chapter five, verse one says, and I like how the NIV, and I think we sing it this way actually in one of our songs, in Galatians chapter five, verse one it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So if you weren't here last time, be sure to pick up the study because it really goes well with the rest of the chapter now in verse 14 where we left off. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. And Joash the king of Israel came down to him and wept over his face and said, O oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, Put your hand on the bow. And so he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. And Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, The arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have, been, have destroyed them, verse 18. And then he said, take the arrows. And so he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times and stopped. 
And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times and then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it, but now you will only strike Syria three times. So now we come to the end of Elisha's life. And what a man of God, or we could say what a character he was in every good sense of that word. He was a very interesting man. And God used Elisha in extraordinary ways. And those that study such things as Elijah received a double portion of the mantle of Elijah, his mentor, that you'll see that of the miracles that Elijah did, Elisha did exactly double the amount. And God used him in incredible ways. Because when the kings weren't following God, and when the priests weren't following God, God would raise up a prophet, a spokesperson, to speak on his behalf. Isn't it true in your life? When when you're not listening to Bible studies or pastors, and you're not listening to friends, God will raise up someone to give you the message that you need to hear. He, He will send someone into your life. He will allow a circumstance. I mean, even in the Old Testament, when we learned about Balaam, God used a stinking donkey to talk to this guy because he'll do whatever it takes to get the message to you, this message of love a message of challenge, a message of caution, a a, a word of stop or a word go. God will do what it takes. And I would go so far to say God does what it takes to get his message into our lives. And even though it's interesting to note that God used Elisha in wonderful ways, raising the dead, cleansing lepers, miracle after a miracle, in Elisha's life, he still got sick and died. The Bible says it's pointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. The Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. And even later when we read of the life of Paul the Apostle, where God used him in wonderful ways to bring healing into people's lives, he didn't heal himself. Neither did he have the capacity to personally heal himself Because physical healing belongs to the Lord. He is sovereign in how he chooses to heal. He is sovereign in how he even chooses the instrument of men or the instrument of medicine to bring physical healing into your life and mine. And this frustrates us to some degree, for sure. Because it's our heart and it's our desire that anyone that we love or care for Be healed physically. We don't want to see anybody suffer. We don't want to see anyone go through great disease. We don't want to see anyone have to spend massive amounts in time in the hospital. And so our natural desire and heart and our personal will for someone else's life is that they be healed. The problem is, is that we project that expectation onto God, the sovereign healer. And we forget conveniently caught up in the emotion of hurt and fear and anxiety at the sight of a sick one that God heals and not man and that he's sovereign or you could say he controls who is healed how they're healed and when they're healed every single one of us as human beings is in a state of sickness you know that right (laughs) we are in a state of decay that, that our bodies are not, last, are not meant to last forever. But the Bible promises that one day we will exit this body 
and we will get a new body and be forever in the presence of the Lord. Which in many cases, those that we prayed for for healing, God's choice of healing was to remove them from their physical body and bring them into the fullness of healing in his presence. Now that's hard for us to accept because we enjoyed them and loved them and wanted more time with them. But it wasn't God's will. Man has never healed anyone, ever. Only God. Positive confessions will not bring necessary cures. You might want to jot that down. Positive confessions will not bring necessary cures. There is a false teaching that's very popular today. Unfortunately, it's known among other things as the prosperity gospel. It speaks of the blessing of God, of finances and good health. And if you just speak it into existence, and if you just believe enough, and you just speak words of healing over you and words of prosperity over you, that that will take place that God will submit to your powerful words. Might I just say there's one word for that doctrine? Well, there's many words, but let me share one of them with you. (laughs) Nonsense. I'll share another one with you. It'll be a little more more Bible study friendly. Unbiblical. It's a nonsensical, unbiblical doctrine that only the teachers and the leaders that teach it ever benefit from it. You can't speak it into existence. God is sovereign. And when we pray, we pray according to the way we were taught by Jesus Christ. And as much as we desire healing and prosperity and folks' needs to be met, we pray exactly what God taught us to pray through Jesus Christ. And it's this. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done on earth and make it happen in heaven. It's not my will I want. Now I have to say that's not entirely true Because many times in my prayer life, it is my will that I want. And I wrestle in prayer. Do you wrestle in prayer between your will and God's will? I wrestle in prayer. It sometimes is a battle. Certainly not as intense as the Garden of Gethsemane, but similar. Where I pray and I wrestle with, if this cup can be taken from me, then take it. If there's any other way, God, that you can handle this situation then please do it because I don't like the way you're handling it now. And I want my will so often in prayer, but I know by the time I'm finished in prayer, so often I'm resolved. Willingly, not against my will, but willingly to accept the will of God in my life. And I believe God heals today, church. And I believe when we pray through James chapter 5, if any of you are sick, let him come to the elders and anoint with oil and pray that I believe God can heal. We've seen God heal. We've heard of God's healing. But I also know that sometimes in God's healing, he doesn't heal as we expect. I think back to a time personally in my own life when my son was very sick. And in some cases, they were saying beyond the help of doctors where we prayed 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We were at his side, my wife and I and other friends and people that loved us and loved my son, my family. We would all do shifts in the hospital and people, different people would be showing up at different times and sometimes they'd make it into the room, sometimes they'd be stuck at the waiting room, sometimes there'd be a word not to let any of us in and we didn't listen. We we're gonna be at the side of our son and we desperately prayed for his healing and believed in every millisecond of every single prayer that God could work and that God would work. 
that if we waited long enough, he would awake my son out of his coma. We believe that. And through God's sovereignty and what he allowed to happen, my son was healed by going home. And it dealt a desperate death blow to everything that I was in my walk with the Lord. And it caused me to doubt, and it caused me to be discouraged, and it caused me all sorts of emotions and feelings that I had never even felt before. And now looking back after five years and looking back at the various ways that God has used my son's life, uh, because my son, he's not dead, he's alive. You know that? He's in the presence of the Lord. He's waiting for us, knowing that we'll be with him soon. And seeing through my son's life and recognizing of all the wonderful years that we enjoyed with him and all the wonderful testimonies, even as we were in Austria recently, serving missionaries, and many of which we never met before, we met three different people who went to school with my son over at Calvary Chapel and Bible College. And they began to share with us stories that we'd never heard before and wonderful testimonies of this young man's character and how God used him. And, and one of the things that was really a blessing to me is that he had the ability to be friends with everybody. And, and it was described as with all the different cliques and everything that was going on, Eddie was able to stay above all of that and be able to serve and love everybody. And I thought that was such a great testimony that God would take me 6,000 miles uh, to hear at that time in my life. And it just sowed seeds of righteousness and hope into my heart that when I begin to doubt that why God would allow such a tragedy, when I begin to doubt why some of the decisions were not placed in our hands but in someone else's hands, when I begin to doubt all of the things that uh, come up with emotion, that the Lord would say, no, I've got your back. I've got people all over this world that can speak encouragement into your life, that can speak truth into your life. And so while we desperately desire healing, we recognize that every one of us will die of our last sickness. Uh, with the exception of the generation that won't die, which is the generation I wish to be a part of, the rapture of the church, with that exception, the general rule is all of us will be out of this body and in the presence of the Lord. Now, everybody listening to me is at a different stage in that. Some people are eagerly awaiting to be delivered from this body of death. But it's a, it's a difficulty, isn't it? It's like a, it's a tension in our lives because I think every true believer has a heart to be in the presence of the Lord and yet we wrestle with, but wait a minute, Lord, I haven't experienced this yet. And you know, like some of you singles, you're like, oh, I can't wait for the rapture, but let me get married first. <laughs> and that's not a bad desire. It's just tension. It's not bad for you to think that way. It's just the reality of life. It's the battle between the flesh and the spirit. It's a battle between that, I, I want to be, be with the Lord. It's, I, I am ready to go, Paul says, and I'm paraphrasing. But to stay is here is more needful for you. And so he accepted the will of God. It's important for us to recognize that Elisha did not heal himself. Even though on many occasions God used him to bring healing. And so God doesn't always heal the way that we desire and we see that in Elisha's life here. Now, the last time we really paid, had any attention in our studies in Elisha was way back in chapter 9. And it's between chapter 9 and here in chapter 13, uh, about 40 years has passed. So about 40 years of ministry is not accounted for biblically and written down for us by the Holy Spirit. 
It's a time of silence, a time of silence in his life. And even though it's silent in, in terms of what we know, Elisha was still at work in the land and the Lord was with him. And we just may have those times in our lives, church, where people really don't know what's going on. They really don't know what's happening. It seems to be silent, and yet God is still working in our lives because God never stops working. He's always working in and through us. And we may have those times in our lives where not a lot of people know what we're doing or the spotlight may not be on us as it was before. But remember that the Lord is always with you. And it doesn't matter what people know about you. And it doesn't matter what you're doing behind, you know, that whether it's in front of people or it's behind the scenes. As a matter of fact, I prefer, I prefer for people not to know what I'm doing when I'm serving the Lord. I actually prefer that. Even though much of my ministry is up front and in front of you, and you see this part of it where I have the privilege of serving you, but I prefer for you not to know how many phone calls I made today or what folks, you know, even in the stories that I do share, I share, I ask for permission so that they know ahead of time because I prefer to just do my ministry as unto the Lord so that whatever's done in secret, the Father knows about it and I'm only worried about what the Father cares about because that's the motto of Jesus. The motto of Jesus is that at the end of his life, he was able to say that I, I have done that which pleases the Father, not man. Because the more that you're able to do behind the scenes and the more you're able to do for the Lord that nobody knows about, the less temptation you have toward being puffed up in pride or taking the applause of men or wanting the applause of men. And so I pretty much prefer, and you know, many times, uh, most of the times, when, when you as a church family, we model this as a church, when we sow a seed into a biblical, you know, financial seed to bless somebody, we want to bless them in the, something that they need, or we, we help another church in town, or we help a missionary with something extra, we don't announce it. We don't put a plaque. We don't put it up on the screen. We, we don't bring them up and give them a check. We, we, don't, we just want the Lord to bless somebody. We don't want to be in the way. We don't want notoriety. I, I do share that you're a giving church, and I'll continue to share that. You're a giving church. You give to ministries around the world, not only personally, but as a church family. You invest in lives. You invest in ministries. You invest in other churches. You invest in church plants. You buy phones. You buy, you buy things for pastors that, that they need because they don't have the resources. You help buy books for kids. and back, you, you mean, oh, it, it, is, it, is, it is beyond what even could be announced. You have gener you're sitting by generous people right now that give generously unto the work of the Lord. You, you're sitting around people that give enormous amounts of money to the work of the ministry through the church here, through Grace FM, but you're not going to see a little tap, you're not going to see a little thing on the back of the chair, this chair provided by so-and-so family. And you're not, we're not going to put it, we're going to paint on the wall, the biggest giver this week is, and put it up on the wall. We're going to point people to the Lord. And so whatever you do in word and deed, the Bible says, do it as unto the Lord. Don't do it to be recognized. Don't do it even for the good feeling that you get when you give. Do it because you have the good feeling of what? Pleasing and obeying God. Train yourself to do that. Because if you train yourself to, be, to do things for the applause of men, it will ruin your life. It will ruin you. Is not only is the applause of men fleeting, it is a poor substitute 
for the applause of heaven. And you don't want your rewards here on earth where moth and rust can eat it up and destroy it. You want to lay up what? For yourselves treasures in heaven awaiting you and me. And Elisha, even though it was a silent time, it's okay. Sometimes it's even better to be in those silent times. And the king, he comes, shows great respect for Elisha. He's a strong spiritual leader for the nation. He was a valuable man, even though folks didn't always agree with him. And I praise God for the strong leaders in our church and the strong leaders we've been able to be a part of in the past 19 years here in Aurora. We're just so grateful for those that have stuck around, those that have longevity, those that have stuck it out, those that have persevered, strong leaders in our church, in the church, in this world, in homes, in culture. I'm so grateful for you parents that are strong leaders in your homes, discipling your children so that you realize, parents, the most important thing for you to do with your children, this is the only goal It's not to get them through Harvard and it's not to get them with all the possessions and it's not to get them launched off into the world. You have one job. You have one job. You know how they post those things? You have one job. Here it is. This is your job. Get your kids to Jesus. That's your job. Parents, it's not my job, even though I will pick up the slack as unto the Lord if I have to or if God allows me to. It's not my job, it's your job. It's your job to get your kids to the Lord, to disciple them, to declare to them the love of Jesus Christ and his great sacrifice for their lives, to instill in them a love of God and a love of God's word and a love of church where you're gathering together with the saints and what it represents as church, like we're gathering today, has been a part of the life of believers from the very beginning, from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And even before that, Jesus was gathering with the guys and the gals to talk about the things of the Father and grow together in discipleship. You got one job, parents, one job. And all those other things, you can train them how to be, navigate through the world, we need to do that. How to, how to navigate through the temptations, you bet. But bringing them to the place of surrender to Jesus Christ, it's so important. So I thank you for being good and strong leaders. I thank you for making the hard decisions. I thank you on behalf, I believe, of God, but also of me as a pastor and a fellow brother along the way on this path following Jesus. Thank you for being the strong leader that God's making you and continue to grow in that leadership. Continue to grow in the things of God. Now, let me just say this before we finish up the chapter. How do we treat spiritual leaders? What is your responsibility in mind? How, how am I to treat my pastor, Jeff Johnson? How am I to treat him? Or Rudy Cardenas, who served me, Pastor Rudy. How am I to treat those pastors that have been placed in a place of authority in my life? Let me show you real quick. We're not going to develop it, but I've taught this in another time, but I just want to show it to you. First Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible answers that question. What's my responsibility to these great spiritual leaders that God has put in my life? What am I supposed to do? Turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. What's my responsibility? And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Let me just say this. Every single person that's a believer, God has put someone over them. You may not like that language, but that's the language of the Bible. 
That means there are those that God has put in our life to speak truth into our lives, that we are to esteem as leaders, the ones that are ahead of us, the ones that God... Now, you may not have chosen your leader. I certainly didn't choose my leader. I didn't choose the church I walked into. I didn't choose the pastor. God made those choices for me. And I'm grateful for that. Because I think if I would have made those choices, I would have changed my mind multiple times. But because God established it, so, so I would put it this way, whether you personally chose, like maybe you're here, you say, well, I'm checking your church out today, Ed, and maybe we'll make this our home church. And you think it's all about your choice. It's not, God chose me for you. Take that. <laughs> it's just the way he's doing and working in your life. And even if it's just for now, God chose me. I may not be the best choice. I may not be the choice that you wanted. But through the giftings and the talents and who I am and who God is making me and my experience and his spirit in my life, God chose me for your life. Or you're working with someone overseeing you here or whatever it might be. It's not your choice that gets emphasized. It's God's choice. And to me, that kind of takes the burden off of me. I'll let God make it as my choice. <laughs> Choose what you want me to do, Lord, and I will follow you. Deny myself and take up my cross. So notice verse 13. Esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. We exhort you, brethren, warn those that are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, and see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. And he goes on with a bunch of little instructions that all could be part of this, but let me give you three main things to consider. You can pray about it. Number one, how do we treat our leaders? Number one, we esteem them very highly. We esteem them very highly. Number two, we exercise our spiritual gifts. How do we treat our spiritual leaders? We live in the spiritual realm and we use the gifts that God has given to us within the body. And number three, we're at, be at peace among yourselves. One of the greatest things you can do for your pastor and your leader is to be at peace with yourselves as a body of Christ. To not allow divisions and slander and God, be at peace among yourselves. It will bless your pastor immensely. If you're obeying Matthew 18 and resolving your issues and humbling yourself, be at peace among yourselves. And then he goes through a whole list of things, but consider that we do have a re responsibility to those that God has put in and thank God for his strong leaders. Verse 20, Elisha died. This is back in 2 Kings now. They buried him and the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of that year. So it was as they were burying a man, they suddenly spied out a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. I mean, Elisha was the kind of guy that even after his death, he was greatly affecting people. I mean, this is pretty dramatic. I've never seen anything like this in my life. But man, this is, this is amazing. What a man Elisha was. And Ahaziel, king of Syria, oppressed Israel all the days of Jehoahaz. But notice verse 23, the grace of God. The Lord was gracious to them and had compassion on them and regarded them because of his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and would not yet destroy them or cast them from his presence. And might I just say through Jesus Christ, God is gracious to you and he has compassion on you and has regarded you because of the covenant that he's made with you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have this view of God that he's just ready to pounce us and destroy us and 
waiting for the first failure, but God is gracious and patient and kind and compassionate that he would do such great things in our lives. Haziel, the king of Syria, died in verse 24, and Ben-Hadad, his son, reigned in his place, and Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, recaptured from the hand of Ben-Hadad, the son of Haziel, the cities which he had taken out of the hand of Jehoahaz, his father, by war. Three times Joash defeated him and recaptured the cities of Israel. So when Elisha dies, there's this immediate invasion. The promises given through the prophet was quick, were quickly tested. And God, he, he graciously meets the nation with an incredible miracle of giving this man's life back to him. It was almost as if, don't look to man. I know Elisha's dead, but God says, I'm still at work. Don't look to man. It's always a great reminder for us. And as any great work of God, it no doubt served to encourage the nation through the difficulties they were facing, reminding us of God's faithfulness, that he's still with us, that he still gives life. And so here are these victories that come toward the end of the chapter to the king, even as it was prophesied. Even though the Syrians were determined, the Syrians were determined to destroy Israel, God was greater, and his determinative plan was to protect Israel. And that's just the devil's goal in your life and mine, you know. He's relentless. He just doesn't give up. It doesn't matter if you look to the left. It doesn't matter if you look to the right. It doesn't matter if you look down. You know, the devil is relentlessly going after you. Now, I do believe we give the devil far more credit than he deserves, but I don't think we should go below and not give him the credit that he deserves in the sense that the, the, many of the things in your life have come directly from the pit of hell. It demonic in origin because the devil is relentless. And remember, we have a threefold enemy, the world system, the flesh, and the devil. And the world in which we live is just throwing at us all these thoughts and all these images and all these, just the way the world thinks is so anti-God, just the way it processes things. And then the flesh is, is, is tempted by the world. There's not a day that goes by that you're not tempted by something in this world. It doesn't even have to be bad. You don't even have to be intending to be tempted. You're just going to, to Safeway for a loaf of bread. And somebody has a better cart than you do. Yours has got the wheel going, and they've got this brand new streamlined drives itself cart. And you're like, I want that cart. Why do I always get the one with the wheel? I always get the one with the wheel. And then you just begin, you know, you just begin to be tempted to badmouth God. Just use the cart you got, man. You just went in for a loaf of bread. What'd you get a cart for anyway? <laughs> and you know, silly and it's kind of, but, but then you go up to the cash register and then there's those magazines and then there are those stories and then there's that perfect house and then there's that brand new car and then there's whatever it might be. You didn't ask, you didn't wake up and go, I think I'll be, go to Safeway to be tempted a hundred different times. But that's life because the world is pressing, 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 pressing. And your flesh, it's hungry especially as you're walking in the Spirit. Because when you're walking in the Spirit, you're really starving your flesh, feeding the Spirit, starving the flesh, so your flesh is hungry, looking for any way to satisfy itself. And so the devil's not stupid. He knows how to use the world to tempt your flesh, because if he can get you and me into the realm of the flesh, 
we're over. It's over. We cannot fight spiritual battles with human weapons. And so here, just like the enemies of Syria, just relentlessly coming after the children of Israel, the devil is relentlessly coming after us. Jesus put it this way. If you're still yet unconvinced, this is what Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. He says, yes, I'm the gate, Jesus says, and those who come in through me will be saved. Wherever they go, they'll find green pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. And my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Jesus has come to give you life, victory, power, that his sufficient grace will get you through anything that you face as you surrender to him. King Jehoash won three great victories against the Syrians. And later on, Jeroboam II will even take back some of the land. And God's promise comes true and the people of God were spared. And it was during this time under Jehoash and, or Jehoash and Jeroboam II that not since the time of Solomon was the kingdom at a greater place of strength and a greater place of prosperity. And you would think they would turn back to the Lord, but they don't. Idolatry and false worship continue to plague the land. Might I just say as we leave here today that we often think our most challenging times in our relationship with God are in the trials and the difficulties. But those are not the most challenging times in your life. The most challenging time in your life when it comes to your relationship with God are times of prosperity. Times when everything is going well. When there's money in the bank and there's a promotion at work and your marriage is doing well and the economy's doing well and everything seems to be going well. It's in those times that a people forget their God. After all, why do you need God if you have everything already? Why do you need God if everything is already fulfilled in your life and everything's taken care of? We often think prosperity is gonna lead to the most fruit. And again, I'm speaking in general terms because in, in many cases, in prosperity, the gospel goes out even more, that's true. But in your own life, as much as you don't like the trials in your life, I wanna remind you that the trials you're enduring right now are keeping you close to God. Embrace them. Remember that it's in your weakness that God's strength is made perfect. That it's in your times of desperation that you're crying out to God. That your prayer life is expanded. That you are are in a place of desperation before God. And be careful around the times of prosperity in your personal life in your family life, in, your, in our country, in our church. Prosperity tends to make a people soft and comfortable, and they begin to coast and kick back, not pressing into the things of God. And so the battle is used by God to draw out of us a deeper desperation. And I know you want to be healed, and my heart's with you. I want you to be healed. And I know you want that situation resolved and my heart's with you. I'd like to see that situation resolved. And I know you'd like a little more financial freedom and I'm with you. I wish you had more financial freedom. But like Paul, God is teaching you 
how to be content. And whether you're abounding or you're being abased, God is reminding you that your strength pales in comparison to the strength of God and that in your weakness, you're learning firsthand. You don't need a testimony. You have your own now that God's strength and His grace is sufficient for you. Amen? So, Father, we turn our hearts and attention towards you as we leave here tonight, reminded of your goodness, reminded of the victories you gave to Jehoash, later to Jeroboam, reminded of how gracious you are because of the covenant you made with Abraham. we're, We're grateful because you're gracious because of the covenant you made with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask now by the but just, just by the power of your Holy Spirit to move among us, to move over the airwaves today, that you would draw people to yourself and bring comfort, bring encouragement, but also bring conviction. Forgive us for looking to man, for looking to a guy like Elisha, who's so dynamic and so wonderful, but he's just a man. Truly use, use men like Elisha to draw our attention to you, the God of the man. And may we be continue to worship the God of the man, the God of the pastor, the God of the mentor, the God of the parent, perhaps. Whoever it is that you've used in our lives, may we respect them and honor them and serve them well. But also, God, may we look to the God of the men and women you've used in our lives and surrender ourselves to you. And, and I pray a special protection toward the threefold battle that we're all engaged in, the flesh, the world, the devil. God, we pray that you would hedge us in behind and before and protect and guard us. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do just that. It was on a Wednesday night myself that I received the Lord Jesus Christ in a room very much like this. When I was reminded or taught for the first time of God's love and grace that he actually loved me. And I have the privilege of telling you today that God loves you. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. That through the perfect sacrifice of the Son of God, that you can exchange now your imperfect life for his perfect life. And that you can experience the true forgiveness of your sins. And so if you're here today and you'd say, Ed, I need to to surrender my life to God who gave me his son, Jesus Christ. I need to repent of my sins. I'm going to ask you right where you're at. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you that today would be the day that you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and respond to the conviction of sin that you know better than anyone in this room how distant you are from God and how much you crave a relationship with the God who created you. Is there anyone here that would say that? That's me, Ed. I need to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins. Would you just stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. And of course, this goes out on the radio, so anyone listening live to me right now, uh, obviously we don't see you, but God sees you. So you can acknowledge God right in your car, in that prison room, on a hospital bed, kitchen, wherever you are. God bless you in the back, bro. May the Lord pour out his spirit upon you. Who else would say that's me? That today you would turn your life away from your sins and to submit your life. I believe there are more, and so I just want to give you that chance today. I mean, I'm not giving you anything. I, I'm just here on behalf of God. That's it. So forgive me for my language sometimes. It's, it's not me. I'm just a messenger. 
with a great message that far surpasses anything you've ever heard or experienced, the love of God, the fulfillment of prophecy, the Jewish Savior who was sent for all mankind. Anyone else? So those of you who have responded, pray with me, would you? Because what the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and you confess or believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because it's with the heart that one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. So I want to give you, uh, I want to lead you in a prayer that you can pray to God so you can confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart. And if I didn't acknowledge you or see you, that's okay. Uh, it's God acknowledges you today and he hears your prayer. And so after, you, after our song, I want you to come up and talk to one of the pastors up here so they can give you something of what it means to follow Jesus and help you along the path. And so here, you can just pray to God. You can you repeat after me. God, I accept your free offer of salvation and the forgiveness of my sins through the sacrifice of your own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe Jesus rose again from the dead to save my soul. And I admit that I have no good works to offer you. And I ask you to help me God, to turn away from my sinful past that I might follow you all the days of my life. And Father, I know anyone, anywhere receiving you today, you hear their prayer and I hope it's like legit and the real thing, God. We don't know. We're just going to take someone at their word and encourage them in your word and teach them and point them to you so whether a family's changing today, uh, a, man, a young man's changing today, a prisoner is learning of his own freedom in you, I pray, God, that you would pour out your spirit and that the seeds that were planted would be on good ground in Jesus' name. And everyone says amen and amen. God bless you guys that respond. Um, We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.